Welcome, everyone. I'm Janine Rocht. You're listening to Peep the Tin Podcast, where in every episode we talk to a tinned fish advocate to further our knowledge of the industry, meet a wide array of folks in front of and behind the scenes, and get to know a little more about the supply chain. And of course, profess our love for the humble tinned fish. In this episode, I chat with Carl Nichols, currently on the road with the Shellfish Growers Climate Coalition, and we will talk about all things shellfish. Hey, Carl, how are you? Where are you? <laughs> hello, hello. Um, gosh, great to be on with you. I am uh, currently right at the mouth of the Columbia River on the Oregon-Washington border um, in a town called Warrington outside of Astoria. Excellent. Um, have you, so I'm assuming you escaped the heat here in Portland where I am currently. We hit two records this last weekend. We hit um, 113 for the first time ever and 108. And I know a lot of people kind of tried to go to the coast. So a little cooler there? Um, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I was kind of in the thick of it up in Seattle a couple days ago. Um, and then before that, up towards the Canadian border. So kind of went right through the, the center of the heat wave. Um, but now, yes, much cooler, breezier out on the coast. Good place to be. Absolutely. Sounds like you are all over. Uh, so, so let me ask you, how does one get into the business of growing shellfish? Uh, you've, you've been, this isn't everything that you've done. You have quite a history of, of being in the shellfish business. So how, how do you get into that? Yeah, so I, I started, I guess I, I jumped onto an oyster farm right after graduating from college. I, uh, I'm from Northern California originally, and then went to school in Maine. And, uh, and you have always kind of been interested in food, growing it, cooking it, growing up uh, for whatever reason, and then surfing and fishing and always kind of being on the water. So um, after school, it seemed like a kind of a neat way to be able to do both. And, uh, you know, oysters were, um, you know, certainly in a, in a pretty good growth spell. And, and so found out you could actually make a living doing all that and, uh, <laughs> and jumped in. Jumped right in. So within your shellfish career, uh, what are the largest impacts you've observed, whether from climate change, infrastructure, corporate waste? And I guess this is a two-part question. Sorry, it's a, it's a big one, but um, on, on top of, of that, what you've seen in terms of impact, do you see any possibilities to counteract these changes? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think there, there are a handful of answers. Um, and by impacts, I'm assuming, I, I guess that sounds negative, um, you know, and, and certainly there are tons of challenges, um, but also tons of opportunity as well. So, um, you know, maybe I'll just talk about the challenges. I mean, the one I'm currently most engaged with is, is climate change, um, you know, which is a major existential threat to, to shellfish all over the world. Um, you know, and, and uh, as well as a threat to, to the livelihoods and communities that depend on them. Um, and that, you know, it's, it's, it's a big issue. Obviously, it's become uh, hugely polarized in this country. Um, but, you know, I think if, our, if we do have a salvation there, it's, it's in engaging, you know, and, and reaching out to people across the aisle, across the bridge, across the tracks, whatever, um, 
you know, which is something I've been doing with the coalition here because, um, you know, it, it will take a coalition uh, of very diverse groups to, to make any, any headway, um, mm -hmm. you know, in the climate change discussion. Right. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, there are all, all sorts of challenges. I mean, aquaculture is, um, and, and when I say aquaculture, I'm mostly referring to, to shellfish aquaculture. And to further clarify, when I refer to shellfish, I'm generally talking about um, uh, molluscan bivalves. So oysters, clams, mussels, scallops, um, and, and, and species that kind of have two shells. Um, you know, in, in this country, I think, you know, in some ways we're, we're well behind the rest of the world. Um, you know, regulations have been very strict on, on growing this industry and, um, you know, and our, our food system in the U.S. is pretty unique in how it supports certain industries and, and makes it very challenging for others. Um, you know, so that's, that's an ongoing challenge. Um, you know, another impact uh, th that we're dealing with all over the country is uh is competition for for waterfront and and uh you know working waterfronts and um you know coastal development and and those spaces you know we're, we're not gaining a whole lot of new coastline if, if anything in certain places we're losing it um and so uh you know the 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 powers that be that that kind of want to want to make use or want to inhabit those coastal areas um you know the the pressure is is certainly increasing so um, you know, my whole goal is, is keeping, keeping shellfish a part of that conversation and making sure that everyone, uh, both the public and, uh, you know, regulators and, and elected officials, uh, understand how important shellfish are to, to coastal communities and, you know, to, to the planet as a whole. Got it. I guess a little, before I dive into the next question, um, I'm just writing some notes on what you were talking about the coastline and how, you know, in no way are we gaining coastline. You said that you surf. Uh, mm -hmm. I imagine whenever you can, where you can, you're all over a lot of different coasts. So how is that impacting where you surf? I imagine you have your favorite spots, you know, how, how does that impact your, your, your fun time? Totally. Um, yeah. I mean, there, there are already places, you know, in my lifetime that, you know, have changed. Um, you know, and, and places that, that are no longer surfable, you know, whether it's because of rising sea levels or, you know, coastal development, um, you know, it's kind of hard to prove either one, but, um, you know, regardless, things are changing. And, and the big one, uh, especially in this last year, I spent a lot of time on the Gulf Coast, um, which I hadn't spent any time in bef before this, this last year, um, you know, and, and surfed all throughout there. And, um, you know, it's really interesting, kind of the two sides of the coin where, you know, with the increase of, in severity and frequency of storms, um, you know, it actually makes for, for better surf, you know, down in the Gulf. Um, but at the same time, you know, those increased storm surges have, uh, you know, a really destructive effect on uh, coastal wetlands, which are just critical habitat for um, all sorts of species, but especially shellfish. So, it's um yeah complicated relationship um you know between some of these impacts but um you know i think the big thing to to understand is is we have very little understanding of um you know what some of these changes are going to be and and how they interact with with one another as uh, they get more severe and and more widespread
Right. I mean, you really paint a picture of how much in terms of climate change is impacting not just food, but you know, what you do for fun, what you do for a living. It's, you've definitely used your knowledge and your voice well beyond being, I think, I think these were, were your words or someone else's words I read online, being an oyster man. You've done a lot and you've even gone to Capitol Hill to mm-hmm. ask for climate action and policies. And I'm just curious, you know, what, what does your day-to-day look like? You said you're traveling, you know, doing this work all across the way and you're clearly trying to bridge the gap, right? You're talking to people from both sides of the aisle from a lot of different perspectives. So how, how has that been? Clearly you've been successful, but I kind of want to hear from your words, you know, how, how you've gone about that and how have you made it a success? Yeah, it's, um, gosh, it's been, you know, every, every day is different, um, kind of depending on where I am. Um, so I started just to give you a little bit of context. I, I started in Washington, um, at the end of August of last year, you know, right in the heart of the pandemic. And, uh, you know, went down the West Coast, over the Gulf Coast to Florida, and then up to Maine. Um, kind of lingered there for kind of the coldest two months of the winter, and then went down uh, back across the Gulf, and then up to to Washington again. Now, so um, covered some ground, and it's it's just fascinating to see, you know, in all these different contexts, um, kind of the common threads throughout. You know, whether it's environmental impacts, and you know how communities are. Are, are dealing with them or not, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, it, it's a very different approach wherever I am, you know, because certain folks are, are totally comfortable talking about climate change and, and what's happening. And, and in other communities, as soon as you mention the word climate, um, you know, forget about anybody uh, talking with you, you know, let alone, mm-hmm. um, you know, inviting you on their boat or, or whatever. So it's, it's uh, my, my kind of strategy has certainly evolved, um, you know, and I kind of think of myself as a chameleon, you know, to some degree. Um, I imagine. You know, trying <laughs> to kind of ease my way in because most places, you know, I, I may have one or two folks I know, but it's a lot of just showing up and figuring out, you know, where the, the local oyster folk launch, you know, where the, where the uh, public dock is and hanging out and, and just, you know, trying to catch somebody's ear. So. Um, for me, it's been all about, you know, trying to establish common ground without jumping headlong into, you know, trying to convince somebody of climate change or trying to convince them to sign on to the coalition or, um, any of that, you know, it's, it's definitely a kind of a slow game, but, um, you know, when you have those light bulb moments of, uh, you know, when, when someone you can tell is making a new connection because of, you know, the conversations that you're having, it's just, magic so um that's great uh it sounds like hard work but uh i imagine when you're able to make those connections it's just a a sense of relief and also success which is a good mix of things to have i guess i i kind of like jumped way ahead i realized can you walk me through the life of an oyster for example (laughs) like i I was like wait a minute i have all these questions and then (laughs) the most simple right (laughs) absolutely yeah um, I mean, yeah, not, not quite as simple as you might think, uh, it depends how much time you have, uh, but I can give you kind of the abridged version. And then if anything, you know, if I need to clarify, let me know. Sure. Um, 
oysters are uh, so you have male and female oysters um, and interestingly there's you can't really tell which is which until you have them open or until they um, actually release their gametes egg and sperm respectively into the water um, so they're you know in the wild they're broadcast spawners certain times a year generally during the warmer months when there's a lot of food around um, they'll release their gametes egg and sperm are fertilized in the water um, and are swimming around as a, a larvae uh, for the first few weeks and, you know, getting distributed by the currents, you know, kind of up to whatever the water is doing. Um, but eventually they, they will, uh, they'll set and they'll settle onto some substrate. Um, and oftentimes in the wild, that substrate happens to be other oyster shells, um, which is how you get these incredible oyster reef systems. Um, but they'll also settle on rocks, on pilings, you know, on just about any sort of hard substrate. Um, you know, and then, and then once they set, then they're done swimming. They're, they're totally um, static at that point. And, you know, they, they start to grow their shell and, um, you know, and, and, and grow into something that, uh, you know, most folks picture as an oyster. Um, so that's, you know, in the wild, that's, that's a, you know, very kind of zoomed out, simplified version. But, um, you know, most of the oysters that we eat uh, come from hatcheries. So it's, it's replicating the same process, but in a, in a closed, um, contained environment, uh, you know, a series of tanks. And, um, you know, it's, it's all about um, creating, you know, kind of as natural an environment as you can for the oysters to, to spawn and then fertilize, set. And then begin to grow. And how much how much water do they filter? I always read it's a, a crazy amount that I never remember. Yeah, yeah, kind of, you know, depends on who you talk to. I think I've seen you know between thirty and fifty um, gallons a day for a for an adult oyster. It's um, amazing. It is, yeah, totally amazing. I can like barely even wrap my brain around that. I know they're incredible. I mean, if you see them, I, I worked in a hatchery for a while, um, you know, producing oyster seed and. Um, when you're getting ready to spawn them, you actually have them in these, um, in these kind of clear tanks. And so you can look at what the oyster's doing underwater and it's just amazing. Like the, the shells are open and they have these little cilia that are moving the water across their gills. And it's, it's, uh, you really gain a, a whole new appreciation for what those animals are doing. That's so cool. They're they're I mean, their life, I mean, so many people, they only know the oyster is, you know, cracked open. Mm-hmm. on the half shell on ice and they don't really think of just like a lot of food that people put in their mouths or drinks you mm-hmm. know they don't think of the life they had before and the impact but I mean from what I know and what I've read and now what I'm learning through this podcast with all of the lovely folks we've gotten to talk to including you just learning about how it seems like shellfish are a huge barometer for our environment mm-hmm. and water quality clearly and everything else um so this one's kind of a silly question, but uh, pretend I don't know anything about shellfish, never had them to eat, don't know a lot. In particular, oysters. We're at a dinner party, and an oyster is your date, and you introduce them to me. What is your elevator pitch? And granted, I'm reading this realizing people are going to assume that I'm going to eat your date, but I don't I don't mean that I'm going to eat your date. Just what's your elevator pitch for like the, the oyster, the humble oyster? Yeah. Uh, great question. <laughs> um, 
you know, again, this is one where you kind of, you kind of try to feel out, you know, who your audience is. Um, but you know, not, not, uh, kind of keeping all things neutral. I think, you know, for me, oysters check all the boxes, right? I mean, they're delicious. They are nutritious. Um, you know, they provide a lot of essential minerals that, that are really hard to get anywhere else other than a, you know, a pill. Um, you know, and, and, and the biggest one for me, um, you know, I guess the environmental piece, but then also oysters are, are, are kind of the most honest reflection of their environment. Um, you know, I think relative to, to anything that we eat, um, when you're producing an oyster, there's, you know, there's very, very little levers you can pull as far as manipulating, you know, what's happening in, in that environment. You know, there's no water, there's no fertilizer, there's no feed, um, there's no antibiotics. You're very much kind of at the whim of mother nature. And so every oyster that you get, um, you know, is, is a really, as I say, kind of the most honest reflection of that place, um, you know, and, and kind of the more oysters that, that you eat and the more times you experience that, the, the more you can pick up on, you know, these little nuances of, of flavor. And um, I mean, I think that's when it gets really, really fun. Um, so the more you eat, the better it gets as far as the oyster experience, um, you know, and, and, and that connection to place, I think, is, is um, unrivaled by any other food. Totally. There's a, there's a t-shirt right there. The more you eat, the better it gets. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> awesome. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> well, I mean, it's yours. <laughs> but before we, um, we publish this podcast, you should get, you should get on that. All right. Deal. Um, I'm always thinking about this kind of shit, you know, just being on the road. I have a lot of time to think. So, um, yeah. trying to get beyond just the shuck puns, you know, and get a little more creative with it. I, I, like I know. I mean, people are always like shuck rhymes with fuck. So often, and that is is what you see on a t-shirt and some of them are hilarious but yeah. yeah it's um i'm sure you've come up with some really lovely lovely puns there's there's a lot of jokes out there but working on it. i mostly and, just steal what other people who aren't in the always <laughs> say and then you know play it off as my own me being on the west coast and we've discussed your your journey um on the west coast currently but you have extensive experience with oysters and shellfish in general from West, East, Gulf Coast, I imagine a little international. What can you kind of describe if it's even easy to some commonalities or differences in taste, the size, the structure between the sources or the, you know, the types of, of shellfish, or I guess we're talking about oysters. So let's specifically discuss oysters, but like, for example, just in simple form, I've noticed that Gulf oysters are a lot bigger, or at least they're older. Whatever it is, they're larger than, you know, these really, you know, cold ones that I'm used to um, on the West Coast, nice and small and cold mm-hmm. in terms of the waters, and then East Coast kind of similar. Like, what, how would you, um, I guess, categorize them? Yeah, I think the way I like to break it down, you know, without getting too in the weeds, but still making it interesting and I think honest, um, you know, on an honest reflection of how kind of complex um, oysters are, is, you know, I, I start with species. Um, and, and these are kind of the, the three ways in which I think, you know, oysters kind of different, differentiate themselves from one another. Um, the first is species. So in the U.S., uh, there are actually five different species of oysters that are commercially significant. 
Um, and of those five, you know, two are, are, are the vast majority of, of the oysters that we eat. Um, there's one species uh, on the East Coast um, that is, it's actually the same species from Texas all the way up through uh, the Maritimes up in Canada. Um, it's all this Virginica oyster, um, which is pretty incredible if you think about how that animal has adapted to, to all those different habitats. Um, and then on the West Coast, the, the primary oyster species that we grow is, is actually a Japanese species that has naturalized um, in many places along the West Coast. And it's widely uh, referred to as the Pacific oyster. Um, you know, and, and with each of those oysters, you, you know, you get very different um, uh, kind of profiles. I think the big one is, is a texture difference. Um, but also, you know, they grow at different rates and, and thrive in different bodies of water. So I, I'd say, you know, I start with species. Um, and then that, that next step is uh, location. And as I kind of alluded to earlier, talking about um, how oysters are a reflection of their environment, um, that, that has um, a huge effect on, on what that end product is like. Um, you know, the different types of ground, whether it's sandy, muddy, or rocky bottom, um, will affect an oyster. The amount of freshwater influx that you have in a given body of water will affect, affect that flavor of oyster. Um, so location is, is kind of the second one. And then the third one is technique. Um, and technique, I, you know, I think I'd kind of combine technique with time, you know, and, and maybe that, um, determines kind of how, how large the oyster is, but, um, but also there are a lot of different ways to grow oysters. And, and I think this is where kind of the artistry of, of growing oysters come in, comes in because, you know, as I said earlier, there aren't that many levers you can pull as an oyster farmer. Um, but what you, but what you can do is you figure out, you know, what species you want to grow and, and what you're allowed to grow. Um, in your area and then figure out, you know, which technique, which, uh, gear type, um, you know, is, is most appropriate for your area. And then from there, you know, you can kind of play with it and, and, uh, you know, create something that's, that is all your own, um, totally unique. So, you know, there, there's tremendous variation in, in oysters. And, and as I said, kind of the more you eat oysters, the more you can kind of pick up on, on some of these nuances. And, um, I mean, it's just been amazing to see, you know, in, in my short career in oysters, how people have gotten way more tuned in and interested in, you know, all these um, different aspects of, of the oyster. Right. So, I mean, talking about even, you know, recent changes happening in the industry, we, I mean, me being in the tinned fish game, there seem to be more and more outfits, you know, Taylor Shellfish, Hama Hama people putting the oysters in tins, basically canning them. Um, do you, like, do you, do you see benefits of that? I mean, clearly we're not shucking a raw oyster and eating it, but you know how, and this kind of goes into the next question asking about your, your, your pairing, but what do you think that tinning fish really has in terms of, you know, helping, to preserve the oyster or to, you know, help with sustainability. Um, what are your thoughts on, on that in terms of the industry? Yeah. I mean, I think it's fantastic. It's, uh, you know, eating raw oysters is not for everybody. Um, so, you know, any different 
you know, preparation that might get somebody interested in eating oysters is, is fantastic. Um, you know, and I really like the idea, um, and maybe this is where we zoom out a little bit from oysters to include clams and mussels and stuff, because this applies to all of them, but, um, you know, oysters and, and, and the rest of them are, are seasonal, you know, so the idea of being able to take, um, you know, a shellfish, an individual animal, you know, at the peak of its kind of, uh, yearly cycle, um, peak, you know, in quality and kind of preserve that or, or package that up, you know, for, for another time is brilliant. Um, you know, and I think that's totally relevant for shellfish and, uh, you know, around the world, I remember my, my, one of my first oyster memories long before I, you know, was, had a career, I guess not that long, but, um, while I was in college was in West Africa in Senegal and there's a, a mangrove oyster industry there. And, um, you know, again, this is before I was an oyster professional, but got really into it and, uh, you know, they're harvesting oysters and then drying them in the sun and, and then packaging those, those up in little plastic baggies. And, and those would then travel into the desert and, you know, provide protein, um, for someone a long ways from the coast. So, you know, it's, uh, I think on the one hand, you know, it's great, um, to have, you know, like I talked about before, kind of this, you know, other entree into oysters, but, you know, in a lot of parts of the world, it's, it's essential, um, you know, for, for getting nutrition uh, away from the coast. So yeah, I love it way into it. That's, that's awesome. I think it's, it's so easy in the U S where you have, you know, apples year round, bananas year round, and so many things that aren't necessarily grown here. I think that it's easy for people to forget that seafood is the main protein for a lot of different cultures around the world. And um, it just happens to be, you know, shoved into this upper echelon of, of um, expensive food sometimes, or, or the weird food, the slimy food, but it's, it's important and sustenance for a lot of people. Totally. Yeah. And it's such an efficient package, you know, nutritionally, it, it makes so much sense. Um, so yeah, I think how, however you get it to folks is, it's fantastic, you know, and it's okay that it's, you know, it, it uh, you know, I get into this a lot where people say, well, you know, yeah, shellfish is cool, but you know, nobody can afford it. So what's the point? And you know, yeah, I mean, yes, it's expensive, but I, I think, um, you know, we need, everybody to be kind of a part of this, you know, and, and there's a role for, you know, preparing it and bringing it to, to different communities. And, um, you know, and, and as far as pricing this, this will, you know, maybe go somewhere other than where this podcast goes, but you know, the, the relative price of shellfish is, um, you know, is, is a little bit, it doesn't necessarily reflect, um, accurately because of you know the way other industries and sectors are incentivized and and subsidized in this country so i think uh you know that that's another one of our challenges um you know and i think an opportunity is to kind of even the playing field um you know with as as far as um you know what kind of food is available so what is your favorite tinned fish and beverage pairing Hmm. i love it um I mean, for me, I guess, you know, maybe leaving brands out of it, but I love, uh, mussels, 
mussels mm-hmm. that you know have been smoked and then packed in you know some good olive oil um i mean for me there's there's not a whole lot better than that um and you know i guess number two would be uh the cockles um and that you get in that you get in brine um i mean that brine is just that's nectar of of the goddesses there um so i love that and then my my beverage pairing kind of for either of those and really i guess for anything else that i enjoy eating would be uh miller high life i think nice yeah i just think you know nice and cold it's um it's got the bubbles and i just think it goes really well with with food um any food okay what's your favorite shellfish joke (laughs) (laughs) is there one are there none all right yeah i got one um where do shellfish go to get high I don't know. Call where? To the clam bake. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Naturally. Awesome. That's great. I'm going to try and remember that one. I have a penchant for forgetting uh, punchlines of jokes, but I'm going to commit this one to memory. So call, tell us where to find you on social or how to follow your work and advocacy, like where you're clearly doing lots of great things. Um, is is the coalition on social like how can people find you yeah so i am a kind of a reluctant adopter of of instagram but it has been <laughs> super valuable especially on the road connecting with folks and and kind of getting the word out so i am on instagram at hustle shuck um kind of one word there i guess um and then the, the shellfish growers climate coalition is also on there at shellfish number four climate shellfish for climate um so those those are probably the two best ways um i mean I, you know personally i'm bouncing around a lot and and i'm going to be doing a bunch of writing and stuff um kind of on the tail end of this trip so that that would definitely be the best way to to keep in touch and you know feel free if anybody is interested in uh you know shellfish or climate you know or, or the intersection um you know of any of this stuff happy to to support <laughs>